Well, good morning. morning. Happy Easter. Easter. Beginning with the fifth Sunday of Easter, there is a shift in the Easter emphasis. We know the time between the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus was a time of teaching. Luke informs us that Jesus appeared to his disciples during 40 days speaking about the kingdom of God. So here is the shift. Jesus knew that he had to prepare his followers for his ascension. He had to address the question of how he would continue to remain present with and guide them in his physical absence. The focus of the rest of the Easter season is on this issue. So Jesus prepares his disciples to be the church, his body, the continued presence of Jesus in the world. So this theme, the continued incarnational embodied presence of the ascended Jesus through the church, emphasizes the need for the church to experience the presence of Jesus by loving each other as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. So Jesus says in our gospel reading this morning, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. To be honest, to love one another is not new. Leviticus 19 verse 18 talks about loving one another when it says, love your neighbor as yourself, I am God. I think what might be new is that they are to love each other with the kind of love that Jesus modeled, which characterized the relationship that he had with his father and the love that he had for all people. I think we are all familiar with St. Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, often called the love chapter, which is read at most weddings, but we shouldn't just reserve it to be read at weddings. We need to make this a a rule of our lives and the way that we live the Christian life because it clearly lays out what love is all about. And in the end of uh, chapter 13 and verse 13, it says this, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is what? Love. So when the Apostle Paul confronted the Corinthian believers, the church in that secular city had begun to deteriorate ethically and morally. And the unfaithfulness and immorality of Corinth was well known, and the church had suffered as a result by accommodation to the ways of the world. So the cultural worship of the goddess Aphrodite complicated the setting even more. There was a magnificent temple dedicated to this goddess in Corinth. And there were also other temples to other gods and a pantheon to all gods. And the city was home to other cult worship, and in essence, it was a place where anything goes. Interestingly, it sounds like many of our urban cities today. So Paul writes from Ephesus to the believers in Corinth, answering some of their questions as well as speaking truth into concerns that he had for the church. So the issues Paul addresses in 1st and 2nd Corinthians are filled with spiritual, ethical, and moral implications. The disorders and faults addressed in the first uh, letter are varied and many. Divisive factions, rampant immorality, and ongoing litigation among members. And in addition, he tackles contextual issues with women in worship, abuses of the Lord's table, Questions about and abuses of spiritual gifts, doctrinal errors, and even procedures for distributing their offerings. Additionally, 
He replies to questions about marriage, separation, reconciliation, and celibacy. So the Apostle Paul confronts the Corinthian church mostly because of their cowardly behavior in not living faithfully in Christ-honoring ways and according to the gospel that they are all called to follow and to proclaim. They had collapsed many of the standards they were taught to adhere to and instead allowed the culture to inform their way of being and living. So both letters are filled with incredible depth of wisdom directed to the church and inspired by the Holy Spirit in very specific ways. A good summary statement for all of Paul's instructions can be found in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. And if you're wondering why I'm talking about Paul, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, whenever that wasn't part of our readings, this is the reason. I'm connecting it to the gospel. He says this, follow the way of love. And it echoes our gospel reading this morning when Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Love is the greatest axiom for sustaining life in all its fullness as it affects everything that we are, have, and do. Love lasts forever and it surpasses all other aspects of life bar none. God is love. For God to love, he doesn't just speak love and do love. He is love. To know God is to know this kind of love or to grow in this kind of love. In order to offer this love, we must first receive it for ourselves. This unconditional, generous, grace-filled, lavishing, over-the-top, affectionate, warm, intimate, magnificent, glorious, heartfelt, wonderful, amazing, joy-filled, inconceivable, eternal. And I'm sure you can add a lot of other descriptions onto this. The love of God. Love is the reason, the essence, the focus, the central priority of the church. Let love reign in your heart and life and and watch how the world is transformed right before your eyes because they will know that you were Christians by your love. Two weeks ago, we talked about John 21, a post-resurrection appearance of Jesus to to the disciples. So this was a story about the disciples who went fishing and encountered Jesus, had a miraculous catch of fish, Jesus had breakfast with the disciples, and then Jesus had an interesting exchange with Peter. And Jesus asked Peter, do you truly love me more than these? In this moment, Jesus is asking Peter about his affections. What does it mean, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? Or do you love me more than you love these other disciples? Or do you love me more than you love these things? Your fishing nets and equipment, or the fish that you just caught, or the profit that they represent. So what are these things? Well, actually, we don't know what he is specifically getting at. Regardless, the test is the same. Each time Peter said, of course, Lord, I love you, Jesus responded, feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep, which means, and as we talked about a couple weeks ago, feed, love, serve, and protect them. The end result of this exchange is that Jesus wanted Peter to reorder his affections. And the same question comes to us. Each and every day we're confronted with the simple inquiry, do you love Jesus more than these? And therefore we must consider prayerfully and honestly our answer. It's all too easy to repeat Peter's words, yes, Lord, of course you know that I love you. I throw $10 in the offering plate. I go to church every week or maybe once a quarter. 
And I fit it into my weekend playtime. And I say my prayers before I go to bed. Of course, Lord, I love you. When in fact, we have wandered far from our love for Jesus and have chosen other affections instead of or even more than him. It's time that we come clean with our true affections, the ones that occupy and preoccupy our hearts and minds on a daily basis. These are the loves that need to be reordered. Some actually need to be eliminated altogether due to their inappropriateness and sinfulness. And others need to be reprioritized. So there are so many other affections tugging at our soul today. Our enemy, the devil, is the first one to pull us off course and into the schemes of trickery, mockery, and malicious intent to kill, steal, and destroy. We read every Sunday... The words of Jesus in the summary of the law that tells us to love God and love others. And if that's what Jesus' summary of the law is all about, and also his great commission to go and make disciples, what do you think the greatest work of the enemy is going to be? To keep us from loving God, to keep us from loving others, and to keep us from making disciples. There are idols of the heart that breed contempt in our souls and persuade us to feed them regularly like money, sex, and power. The internet and all forms of technology keep us focused on the addiction of information, communication, skimming the surface of any number of preoccupations and compulsions and dependencies. Busyness is another soul killer, as is her evil sister, Sabbath neglect. I can hear it now. Stop it, preacher. You're meddling in my life. Well, how do you know that I'm not talking about my own? So all of these options destroy our focus on the priority of the love for Jesus, our love for ourselves, and the love for others. And whenever we think about the things that are keeping us from loving him, we need to call them out by name and and truly label them as idol, evil, and sin. After the idols of the heart have been identified comes the reordering of our affections, both the ones that need to be eliminated and the ones that need to be reordered. Listen, list them, pray over them, ask the Holy Spirit to give us the strength and the perseverance that we will need to do the hard work necessary in the change and the transformation of our affections. Stop, notice, listen, pray, reorder, live, serve, love, and repeat them all again. And more than likely, though, this true transformation will only happen when we spend time with God through the practice of spiritual disciplines that put us in a place where he will miraculously transform our hearts. Yes, effort is good, but we need something more than willpower. Willpower will fail us every time. This can't be done in our own strength. Yes, we need to have effort. The effort to practice the spiritual disciplines to put us in a place where we can encounter God. We need the Holy Spirit power transformation that only comes through an ongoing relationship with Him through these spiritual practices. But remember that these practices don't change us. But they position us in a place where He changes us. Kenzuki, um, I hope I got that right. Um, I know Jeff, uh, I hope I, I did justice to this. I asked Mona also it's a, it's a, how to pronounce it correctly, but it's a Japanese form of art where broken pottery is mended with lines of gold filigree. 
And for those who practice this unique art form, the beauty is discovered in the brokenness of the pottery. And without the brokenness, the artist would not be able to rebuild the stoneware into its original design. Now, mending the broken pot requires skillful, patient, and loving hands. And best of all, the gold strengthens the weakness, and the end result is better than new. In fact, it's the brokenness that creates the ultimate strength and beauty of the pot. So it is with Jesus Christ's gospel of kingdom love. Created and loved into being ourselves, we are eventually and quite frequently broken to internal and external forces that corrupt our original design. And without Christ redeeming love, putting our lives back together over and over again, we remain in that state of brokenness without any hope. So when we receive his loving embrace and and welcome his restorative hands of grace, he creatively puts us back together again one piece at a time. We're not fully restored this side of heaven, for we await his return when our full redemption occurs. We talk about that a lot here at All Saints. In the meantime, we welcome his work of sanctification. And it is here where our beauty as created and loved beings are reformed in Jesus Christ. It is the golden strand of Christ's restorative and redemptive love that holds us together stronger than ever before. And this is the only way to be broken yet whole by love. Imagine once again what our life would look like if we saw our redeemed and restored brokenness as producing strength, good, love, blessing, and beauty instead of simply as a weakness and brokenness to tolerate and survive. Imagine if we were to consider Jesus Christ's transformation of our broken parts as the filigree that makes for a fuller, richer, redemptive, and more beautiful life. Imagine if our lives were strengthened with with, uh, strands of gold that held all the restored broken parts back in their rightful place and beauty reemerged from the inside out through every crevice of our heart and life. That gold is the blood of Jesus Christ, his loving embrace and grace, forgiveness and new life holding us together as whole. So this is so counter to the ways that we have been taught to mend our broken life today. The methods of our world look more like hard work heaped upon hard work, and if that's not enough, then add a dose of shame and ridicule, comparison, finger-pointing, and judgment to top it off. Or we think we are defined by the mistakes that we made, the thoughts that we think, the stupid things that we do, the sins that we commit. As Christ followers, we must be cautious. Don't be dogmatic and opinionated and harshly judgmental. Making statements about how others should be living differently, all the while ignoring the plank and the sins in our own lives. Yes, we're called as Christians to speak the truth in love, pastorally, sensitively, honestly, in the right timing. But we must not point the finger in judgment of others' wrongs while ignoring our own sins, broken pieces, and ruined lives. Remember where we came from. Don't forget where we've come from. 
And sometimes Christians can forget. Don't forget. Many struggle with brokenness and see it as something to conquer with some prayer, but more with, with sheer willpower. Some look at their broken pieces and strive to fix it by pulling themselves up by the, by the bootstraps or hunkering down and finally getting serious about it or working harder in order to overcome their annoying issues rather than seeing their brokenness as windows into their soul or even as opportunities to experience redemption and transformation. Something to embrace rather than tackle as if we can overcome brokenness by our own strength, which we've already talked about. Remember, effort is okay, but it is only the transforming power of the gospel and the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit who sanctifies us that ultimately changes us. Every person God used in the Bible was a hot, broken mess. Think about that. Broken mess. Broken people. Page after page, sometimes you really wonder, should I be reading this to my children? Broken people that God uses for His glory. But these are the people God calls. Remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, and I love this passage. I know I get up here and say, oh, I love this passage. It's one of my favorite. I, I do that over and over, but this is truly one of my favorites because I so relate to this. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one can boast before him. It is, be- it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He uses broken, messed up people like this because he knows that it's through people that realize they can't do it by themselves and rely on him. It's through those people that God gets the glory. When we can discover and embrace, even befriend, our core areas of brokenness, it becomes an on-ramp into freedom as we release it into the gracious and loving hands of God. If we are able to submit to an inner sanctuary of grace that God provides, being held affectionately by God who restores our suffering with His loving embrace, we can indeed understand the power of redemption. Restorative love offered to us by an unconditionally loving and grace-filled God. I can't help but to think about my own story. I'm not going to get into all the specifics right now. If you want to know, I don't mind sharing with you. But I remember being completely broken. Laying in a fetal position for three days, praying that God would take my life and, and even contemplating taking my own. Thinking that the mistakes that I made defined who I was as a person. And that wasn't before Jesus. That was why I was in Jesus. And it was as a result of some people who loved me during that time, a community of faith who spoke words of life and embrace, and that kept speaking truth over me, what you did doesn't define who you are. And through that message of hearing it and being loved by people, God transformed my life. And though I wish I could go back and not make those mistakes again, 
or wish I didn't make them back then. I can't imagine what my life would be without it. Think about that. God's love is the greatest healer, the golden filigree of restoration and redemption of every ounce of pain that, care, that being carried by the overburdened life. Responding affirmatively to God's invitation to receive such love ushers us into a, a healing that's transformational for ourselves and all who cross our path. And this happens in a loving, grace-filled church community who practices the rich traditions and disciplines of the faith. God is Redeemer. His loving, um, His longing is to renew and transform us from the inside out. And as the great and good shepherd of our souls, even in the presence of our internal and external enemies, listen, He restores our souls. Psalm 23. God delights in the ongoing process of shepherding our souls and loving us back to redemptive wholeness and grace-filled living all through His steadfast love, mercy, and grace. This is the posture of Christianity. Followers of Jesus who recognize life as abundantly rich and beautifully designed and held together by the golden strands of loving grace and forgiving mercy where both strengths and brokenness are continuously released, redeemed, restored, and renewed for God's glory. This message must first be graciously received and then generously offered to others in Jesus' name. We are free in Jesus Christ to be both broken and whole and on the pathway to spiritual transformation all the days of our lives. By forming an inner sanctuary of grace that happens in the presence of God, we will begin to see with fresh, new eyes the power of redemptive love. And in such a place, we are delightfully held in God's loving and internal embrace. May it be so. All for the glory of God and His everlasting kingdom of grace and love so that we can love others. And by this, the world will know that we are His disciples. By this... Belmont Heights will know that we are His disciples. By this, Long Beach will know that we are His disciples. We have been shown the most excellent way. The greatest of these is always love. So do we love Jesus more than any and all of these particular versions of these things that captivate our hearts? It's time to come home to Jesus and release our broken pieces into His loving arms. Come clean of our sinful patterns of distraction from and, of, and of, of God's love and ask the Lord to forgive, restore, and renew us once more. If we have been working so hard that we've ignored Sabbath as a day and as a lifestyle, then it may be time to make some hard decisions and relinquish control of our lives and our schedule to God. If money, sex, or power have gone to our head and selfishly affected our decision-making and lifestyle, then it is time to come home to the affectionate arms of God where such distractions can be relinquished. Be honest, come clean. Confess sin. Embrace brokenness. Seek restoration. Experience abundant life. Join the fellowship of the broken and the whole. Walk the path to spiritual transformation today and always. Let love be our guide. Remember, and I am closing, heartaches, broken pieces, ruined lives, sin is why Jesus came and lived 
and died and rose again. May God take the fragmented pieces of our broken lives and make something beautiful out of them. Because out of ashes comes life. Amen.